Everybody, welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 244, and tonight we are getting ready to move into the snows of Karathras, which is appropriate as this very evening, uh, as I am broadcasting this, the first snowfall of the year is upon us here in New England. Um, I just uh, took my uh, puppy outside in the, while the snow was falling for the first time in her young life, and she gave me this uh, rather inscrutable look. Um, however, off we go. Um, yes, Tarlonio, no fell voices in the air, so that was good. Uh, so far, anyway, we're all, <laughs> we're all good. Uh, but anyhow, um, let, us, uh, uh, let us push forward as I am running late here tonight, starting up. Um, tonight, we're going to get... Uh, we're going to get to the decision. Um, we were talking about the we were looking at Frodo's overheard conversation between uh, Gandalf and Aragorn last time, um, and I want to be looking as we move forward and we hear Gandalf explain his choice. I think we'll get that far today to hear Gandalf explain his choice to the rest of the party. Um, we should. Uh, I, I want to be looking at what is the basis. What do we learn from Gandalf, both from what he says and from what they do and the arguments that we hear. What conclusions can we draw about the basis upon which they're choosing? Um, that's, so that's a, a question I'm particularly interested in as we move into this. Um, but before we move forward, um, quick reminder, this is the final week of our fall fundraising campaign at Signum University. Um, I hope, thank you, I guess, thanks so much to everyone who has donated so far. We've had a, a wonderful year of fundraising so far this year, last year, record year last year, great year so far already this year. Um, thank you to all of you who have already responded, either those of you who have been giving uh, uh, you know, routinely, many of you on a monthly basis, uh, and uh, others who have given here in these last couple weeks as we've been doing fundraiser reminders here uh, during our regular broadcasts. There's, of course, still plenty of time uh, to get in on that action, and I welcome you uh, to do that. Um, I want to invite you in particular uh, to the very special event that we're holding this coming Saturday. Uh, so this Saturday, at, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, is going to be our annual uh, our annual fundraising webathon, and what we're going to be we're going to be doing a bunch of things there, um, but that's going to be the time when we do a bunch of special features on different Signum programs. I'm going to start off by giving my state of the university address, which is an annual tradition, um, and in that address I'm going to be giving a lot of detailed updates about what's been happening at Signum, the th you know the things that we have accomplished over the course of this year, what we've been able to do with all of the money that we raised over this past year, um, and then talking about the directions that we're headed and where we're going in the future, because uh, there are some really, really exciting things uh, that are coming down the path. And then we're going to have lots of other um, uh, uh, lots of other sessions. We're going to be doing some preview sessions uh, of our space 
mod or up some of our upcoming space modules. Um, if you want to find out a little bit more what those are like, you can attend some. Uh, we're, so we're going to have some some free little like uh, one shot uh, space module sessions, and then we're going to have a big update from the Signum University Press and a bunch of other things, um, updates on our other uh, programming and stuff. It's going to be a really cool day. It'll be going from about from we're going to be starting at one p.m. That's when I'm going to start my State of the University address at the beginning, and then we'll be going until probably I. Uh, 9-ish p.m. is my uh, is my is my guess at this point. Um, anyway, so that's the uh, that's the the plan for Saturday. We'll be publishing a, a final uh, schedule. There's still a few, still a couple things I'm ironing out uh, on the schedule, but we'll be publishing a final schedule soon. Um, it's going to be a great time. So I hope that you'll able to, you'll be able to join us. Um, I will be broadcasting that on all of the channels that I broadcast this, so you can join us on our uh, Twitch channel, our Signum YouTube channel, uh, as well as several of our social media outlets as well. So um, hope you will join us on Saturday. Uh, it's always a really important day in the year of Signum University to be, uh, and I always look forward to sharing both sharing the immediate future, uh, what is coming up what is you know what are the exciting things that we're preparing to do right now in the in the immediate future as well as sharing the general vision um as the vision of sin of signum continues and continues to 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 grow and enrich um so many things have been uh, happening and have been made uh have been made possible so um anyhow that's uh that is what is going on and let me do we're going to do another special giveaway at beginning and end of class here tonight and this week what we are giving away we're giving away something very special this week we are giving away a space token so we're giving away a token for a free space module uh that you can participate in anytime you can cash it in for any one of our month-long space modules some really really cool stuff that's coming up uh in space uh, so uh, I encourage you to check that out always. But here we go. Free space module. One at the beginning of class and one at the end. So let's do a drawing here. I'm going to be doing this drawing in Discord as I have been doing. All right. Here we go. All right. And now I get to, I get to count dramatically. <laughs> Okay, and the winner is Grayest Hound. Grayest Hound, who I think is relatively new. Um, that's not a familiar name to me. Congratulations, Grayest Hound. Uh, so what you should do is send an email to info at signumu.org, and we will make sure and the, the i will say one step that will have to be taken in order for you to get a space token if you don't already have an account created in our blackberry registration system which is the registration we use for space you'll need to create a blackberry account and then we'll get you your free token uh in your blackberry account there um but go ahead and, and send an email to info at signumu.org and we'll make sure to get you the appropriate links make sure you get uh uh you get that uh all lined up and set and everything. Congratulations, Grayestown. As I say, we'll do another one. We'll do another one at uh, 
at the end of CLASP. Thanks again so much to everyone for their generosity. And I would ask for those of you who haven't, uh, who haven't given or have been thinking about it, um, uh, just to encourage you. Um, what we do is, you know, Signum is dedicated. <laughs> I've been working for a long time on a business model that many people have told me won't work. When, uh, when I talk to business people, they say, so it seems like when you set your pricing for things, you calculate how much money you have to have, like you, you take your costs, right? And then you just charge like a tiny bit more than your costs. Um, uh, and they're like, that's really not how you should do it. You really should be charging like, you know, way, way more than your costs. And I'm like, yeah, well, I know that's normal, but that's not how we roll. Um, and of course, what that means is we do have, uh, a, you know, we, we do have a shortfall. That shortfall is primary, is predominantly met by your generosity, by people. The generosity of the folks who have supported Signum have enabled us to continue making all of our programs and all of our things available to people um, as affordably as we can possibly make them. We, we like to make everything that we do as readily available and as easily affordable as really as it is possible for us to make them. And, um, and so that's, that's been part of our mission. That's been one of the things that we've wanted to do. And I've always believed that it was possible that I didn't, we didn't have to jack up our prices in order to make that work. Um, and it has, it has been working. It has been working in delightful ways. And the support that we get from folks, uh, folks like so many of you, uh, really enables us to continue doing it, to continue operating uh, in this way together. So uh, thanks, you, everybody, so much. Um, but um, OK, so let's get back to the text here. Uh, and then we'll do another drawing at the end of class. So. We did a, a, a strange thing last week, which is we jumped ahead a paragraph. We were looking predominantly at this slide last time, um, uh, which is sort of the first half of the conversation between Gandalf and Aragorn. And then we jumped ahead to paragraph two. Um, that is Aragorn's response to Gandalf as we wanted to focus on that discussion back and forth. Now, tonight, I want to go back and sort of fill in the gaps. So let's start. We, 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 talk, we did, I believe, talk about this entire slide, um, but I'm going to read through this as a way to transition into the next full slide, and we'll fill in the rest of the gaps there. Nothing further happened that night. The next morning dawned even brighter than before, but the air was chill again. Already the wind was turning back towards the east. For two more nights they marched on, climbing steadily but ever more slowly as their road wound up into the hills, and the mountains towered up nearer and nearer. On the third morning, Carothros rose before them, a mighty peak, tipped with snow like silver, but with sheer naked sides, dull red as if stained with blood. There was a black look in the, in the sky, and the sun was wan. The wind had gone now round to the northeast. Gandalf snuffed the air and looked back. Winter deepens behind us, he said quietly to Aragorn. The heights away north are whiter than they were. Snow is lying far down their shoulders. Tonight we shall be on our way high up towards the Redhorn Gate. We may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path, and waylaid by some evil. But the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any. What do you think of your course now, Aragorn? Frodo overheard these words, and understood that Gandalf and Aragorn were continuing some debate that had begun long before. 
He listened anxiously. "'I think no good of our course from beginning to end, as you know well, Gandalf,' answered Aragorn, "'and perils known and unknown will grow as we go on. But we must go on, and it is no good our delaying the passage of the mountains. Further south there are no passes, till one comes to the gap of Rohan. I do not trust that way, since your news of Saruman. Who knows which side now the marshals of the horse lords serve?' "'Who knows indeed,' said Gandalf. "'But there is another way, and not by the path of Carathras, "'the dark and secret way that we have spoken of. "'But let us not speak of it again, not yet. "'Say nothing to the others, I beg, "'not until it is plain that there is no other way. "'We must decide before we go further,' answered Gandalf. "'Then let us weigh the matter in our minds "'while the others rest and sleep,' said Aragorn. "'Okay. Very good.' Um, so, let's start with this slide. We can refer back to the other one. As I said, I wanted to make sure the front half of this conversation was in our heads uh, before we went on, but we already talked about the other slide. Um, so, I want to start with the first paragraph. Um before we get back to the debate between Aragorn and Gandalf, I think it's important to note this little one paragraph, this little two-sentence interjection that tells us, that frames it within a point of view. This is definitely Frodo overhearing. And also tells us something, not just about what Frodo is thinking, but I think also, to some extent, what's at stake here. Um, it's, uh, that is... Uh, my focus, in other words, is are on the first and last words of this paragraph. Frodo being the first, uh, the first word, the framing, um, the framing element of this entire conversation is that this is a, a conversation which Frodo is overhearing. Overhearing, which is important, right? Not just listening in on, but overhearing. He's not supposed to hear this. Um, this is something that Frodo is hearing clandestinely, is overhearing, right? Um, and from that he is surmising that Gandalf and Aragorn are continuing the debate that they had begun long before. Um, and we hear, first of all, we see him continue to listen. Uh, I don't think it's inappropriate for him to continue listening, right? Um, that is, I don't think it's like unethical for him to continue listening. I don't think that Frodo would feel himself to be doing a kind of uh, a kind of deviant thing, you know, in this way. Um, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, Chris, you're right. We will learn later on that um, Frodo's hearing has become keener since his wounding. Um, I wonder if this is the first indication of that effect. Yes, the fact that he is overhearing these words, which he is not intended to hear, and I would suspect he specifically is not meant to hear. I think that of all the people in the party, he is the one whom Gandalf and Aragorn would probably least want to be overhearing this particular conversation. Um, but... Um, uh, so yes, that suggests to me that both Gandalf and Aragorn believe that Frodo can't hear them, but he can, 
So I think, Chris, that you're right. This likely is a a hint, a glimpse into the fact that Frodo's senses have been intensified by his by his experience. Um, and yes, Kovya, you're completely right. Frodo is a regular Sam Gamgee overhearing things while people think he's asleep and resting. Yes, the parallel to Sam's overhearing things, I think, is uh, is pretty clear. Frodo's on the other end of these things, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And Matt, I think that's an interesting point. Um, so Matt says, given that Gandalf knew when Sam was listening, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if Gandalf didn't know. Well. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, Sam says that he choked when Gandalf mentioned Frodo going away, um, which he says, which you heard seemingly, right? Um, that is, I'm not sure that... that um, I'm not sure that Gandalf was aware of Frodo the whole time. Um Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Amenmoto. I'm. I think in in general. Uh, uh, I think in general, I'm with you there. That uh, Amenmoto says. I think Gandalf would have stopped speaking if he knew Frodo could hear him. The speech is too discouraging. Yeah, I tend to believe that as well. Um, Especially when we contrast the way he's talking to Aragorn here with how he's talking to... If anything, he's been rather over-egging the pudding when it comes to keeping a bright view of things, right? Um, uh, he's been... He's been a bit too cheery, a bit too... Um, uh, overt in, in his design. If he's, if he's been making mistakes, that's the direction he's been airing in. Right. Uh, so far in the conversation that is explicitly intended for the hobbits in general to uh, uh, to overhear him. Um, and Valoria, I agree. This sounds more like normal Gandalf. Um, you know, what do you think of your course now, Aragorn? Right. That's. Um, uh, yeah. Now, he's still being cautious. Gandalf is here. Right. Even in this overheard conversation, they're still speaking elusively. Right, um, the dark and secret way that we have spoken of. Just in case someone overhears this, they're still not going to know what he's referring to, right? Um, and Aragorn says, "Let us not speak of it again. Say nothing to the others." Right? Um, the say nothing to the others, I think, makes it explicit that Aragorn, at least, wants this conversation not to be had where anybody else in the in the party can hear it, right? Where any, or, or anyone else in the company is going to be hearing it. Um, and so, therefore, I can't think that Aragorn, at least, has any idea that Frodo is able to hear them. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Dora's stroke is right. Um, uh, he, he, 
just posted a little brief summation of this conversation where Gandalf basically says, we must decide this right now. And Aragorn says, let's table that. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. To some extent, that is kind of that is kind of what's happening. Um, yeah. OK. Um, but anyway, hang on. Before we get to the actual substance of their conversation, I want to stick to Frodo in the frame here. Frodo overhearing, we can look more at Gandalf's perspective or what we see of his perspective, what we hear from him uh, as we move down to look at his words. Um, but it seems clear at least that Frodo does not believe this in this conversation intended for his ears. Um, he is listening. He is overhearing these words and listening anxiously in an, in, an, in an active attempt to overhear more, right? Um, so that's clear. Do I think there's anything illicit in this? Eavesdropping on a private conversation is, after all, not cricket, you know. Um, uh, that is not exactly well-bred behavior. Um, Notice that, remember, I mean, of course, the, the parallel scene is the one we've already talked about with Sam eavesdropping at Bag End. Um, uh, but even there, you'll remember, Sam excuses himself. Sam makes out that he started overhearing by accident. He was just, uh, you know, cutting the grass under the window heard and then says, I couldn't help myself, right? Um, and he excuses himself. He takes the, uh, he, he makes the elf, the elves, sir, defense primarily, right? Um, he was ensnared by talk of the elves and couldn't help himself. How I do love tales of that sort, you'll remember, uh, he says. And then, of course, he gets concerned about Mr. Frodo going away, and that's what makes him cry out. But again, the point is, Sam is making an excuse. Sam doesn't treat it as if overhearing their private conversation is fine, is no big deal. It is a big deal. That's why he's making an excuse for himself and explaining how it came, uh, it came to be. Gandalf is asking him, of course, point blank, um, uh, what did you hear and why did you listen? Are Gandalf's conversation. Now, um, it's true, Sam is walking a careful line here. <clears throat> that is to say, I don't think that anything that Sam said is wrong, is, is a lie, that is, he doesn't exactly lie about anything, um, but he is, in fact, an active conspirator who is positively and shamelessly spying uh, on his employer with, in order to feed that information to other people outside the house. And that is definitely not done, right? Um, that, of course, is behavior that has to be explained, excused again in a different way in The Conspiracy Unmasked. Uh, remember, this is what Frodo is talking about when he says, it doesn't look like I can trust anyone. That is a biting remark intended for Sam. Um, he can't, he can't 
not Sam exclusively, um, but Sam, I think, receives the brunt of that particular comment because it is exactly a betrayal of trust for someone in a servant's position like Sam to use that position to overhear conversations that he is not intended to hear, especially then to go and to tell those tales outside of the uh, uh, outside of the household, right? Um, but uh, but in any case, the point that I'm making is simply listening in on somebody else's private conversation is behavior that needs an excuse that calls for an excuse, um, even when we see Sam doing it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and no, Bjorning, I'm not trying to make a bigger deal of it than it is. The excuse for the conspiracy is in fact accepted. Um, it is very clear to Frodo, as it's made very clear to the readers as well, that Frodo's own good, it, it is love and care for Frodo that is leading to the whole conspiracy in the first place. Um, he embraces that and accepts that. And he doesn't even forgive Sam for it. He excuses it, which is not the same as forgiving, right? Uh, when you excuse someone, you say, this doesn't even need forgiveness. No wrong has been, you, you've done no wrong against me, right? That's what it means when you excuse something. Uh, to forgive something is to say, you have done wrong to me, but it's okay, I'm going to let it go, right? He's not even there with Sam. He excuses it. Um, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, but I don't get any impression that Frodo feels any um, remorse about listening in on this conversation. Um, and I think that any question, any question of social scruples here that he's overhearing a conversation that he's not meant to overhear seems to be overridden by his anxiety. Um, his anxiety, clearly, is leading him to listen in and presumably remain still and silent while doing so um, and not giving himself away for fear that if they knew he, were, he was listening, they would stop talking. Right. He wants to know um, what they are discussing. There's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of this is going to sound more dramatic than I intended. But there's a little bit of division in the company that we see coming through here, if you see what I mean. Um, Frodo wants to know what the plan is, where they are going, why they are go why they are choosing one route over another, which you know which route they're going to choose, and how they're deciding which route to choose. They're not telling him this; they are deliberately, clearly, deliberately withholding this information. We can tell that not only from the fact that they seem to be speaking and unaware of Frodo listening, but also because they. Um, he can tell this is a continuation of a previous conversation, which he definitely did not hear, and they definitely did not tell anybody else about, right? Um, so yeah, um, Ziv, exactly. Aragorn and Gandalf are keeping things from the rest of the company. And there is sufficient... I'm not sure I want to go so far as distrust on Frodo's part. Uneasiness? 
anxiety. I'll just stick with anxiety on Frodo's part. That he doesn't just sit up and say, tell me, I want to know. Because he seems anxious that they won't tell him. Uh, or, or won't be honest with him if he does ask. So instead, he keeps silent and listens in. Right? Um, and I think that that's an interesting point that secrets are being kept within secrets like this secrets about what direction which route they're taking and why Um, part of this seems to be I don't think I don't see any reason to believe that it is based on the kind of distrust like we think if we say this in front of everybody that someone will betray our thinking to the enemy or something like that. I don't think that's on the table here. What seems to be the cause of the secrecy? Um, say nothing to the others I beg. Why? Why is Aragorn begging that? I think he's begging it because he's afraid of the impact that it will have one way or the other right, um, on them. And I, th- what we have seen, I think, most consistently to this point here in chapter three is the extent to which Gandalf and to a lesser extent Aragorn, um, Aragorn hasn't been doing the bright, happy sunshine talk that Gandalf has been doing, right? Um, uh, Gandalf or Aragorn has been uh, as grim as ever, um, at least as grim as ever uh, instead. Um, but, but I think the evidence suggests it is preserving the morale of the company and especially the hobbits and especially Frodo that is leading to the secrecy here. Um, and evil Dr. Cannon, yeah, I wonder, um, if he's portraying or reinforcing the image of unified leadership within the company, if one of his concerns is also that he doesn't want them. It is possible that one other reason why Gandalf and Aragorn have kept their debates quiet is that they don't want it to turn into a general debate. They don't want the company to have the sense that the leadership is not united, right? Um, If this is brought to a general vote, if it's clear that Aragorn and Gandalf have, you know irreconcilable differences about where this is going and it needs to be brought to a general vote. That's a bad outlook, right? And going to generally lower morale. So maintaining at least the illusion um, of, uh, of unification might be itself a factor. But again, I think it's primarily about uh, Morniren. Uh, yes, exactly. About the possibility of encouraging despair. That, I think, has been the focus ever since Rivendell. Um, yeah, yeah. Evil Dr. Cannon, exactly. Um, Evil Dr. Cannon says, I imagine that military leadership often has their debates behind closed doors rather than in front of the troops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On one level, I think that that's there. But that itself, that parallel tells you something, right? It tells you something about leadership and it tells you something about the troops this is a small this isn't the army 
right? This is a small group of people. Um, these are not peers, and their reaction needs to be managed in various ways, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I um, no, I don't think, Lincoln, I don't think there's any reason to um, compare the company to a military unit at all. I think that's one of the points, you know? Um, Gandalf has been leading. Gandalf has been overtly leaning on Aragorn's aid in guiding their path as they've been going through the wilderness, right? So it's clear, and then the, that whole business of Aragorn coming in and saying, hey, the beasts and birds are really quiet, something's up. And Gandalf says, okay, let's listen to, when Aragorn's, you know, when a ranger tells you this, and especially if it's Aragorn, you should totally listen, so let's do that, right? Um, it's clear Aragorn's standing as an advisor at the very least, right? But Gandalf is the one who is in charge. The chain of command has not been clearly defined. Don't forget, um, don't forget that one of the people in this particular squad is the captain general of the armies of Condor as well, right? Quite used to command himself and um, would be a great reason why we're not going to specify a chain of command. Because if they did specify a chain in command, a chain of command, they would have to make it explicitly clear that Boromir is no more than third highest at best in the pecking order, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly, Rowan. Uh, Boromir at the council was all, was all over jumping in. Yeah, exactly. Now, he was polite. He was diplomatic. Um, uh, he wasn't just rude. He wasn't thoughtless. But, yeah, he's used to being heard. He's used to getting his way, um, and we're we're gonna, we're about to see that again. Actually, he's gonna he's gonna interrupt again. Um, but um, anyway, clearly this is not specified. And remember, this isn't even a group exactly, right? This is you know um, as um, uh, who was yeah. Uh, as Arnold was just reminding us, no oaths were taken, right? And that's, I think, one reason why no oaths are taken. Remember, the plan, upon leaving Rivendell, the plan is that Aragorn and Boromir are both headed to Minas Tirith. Legolas and Gimli are, apparently, are presumably going to peel off from the company after they cross the mountains. Remember that, that they're going with the company because they're headed back into the east, and so they're going to go by an indirect path and accompany uh, the Company of the Ring for much of the way. But there's not even an assumption, based on anything that we've yet heard, that they're going to go south of, like, Lorien at the earliest, or at the latest, rather. So Legos and Gimli are not going all the way. Um, uh, uh, Boromir and, uh, and, and Aragorn, both of them, are going to Minas Tirith. If any oaths have been taken... Frodo's oath not to give up the ring um, is the most important oath, right? He is under oath, as Elrond makes clear. Um, Boromir and Aragorn, Aragorn's pledge, I shall come to Minas Tirith, 
is guiding him. He's, it was very close to an oath, right? He said a thing which he's definitely going to perform, thinking of Faramir here, right? Um, uh, he's a truth speaker and is going to do what he says. He said he's going to Minas Tirith, he's going. Boromir has a sworn duty to return to Minas Tirith, having performed his task. So uh, Aragorn and Boromir are, you know, at the very least, just a hair shy of having sworn an oath not to accompany the rest of the company, right? So um, I know he didn't say when Nancy is a little wiggle room there, which is doubtless what he's going to be thinking at Parth Gallen, right? Um, that he he's supposed to go to Minas Tirith, but he doesn't have to go immediately. Like he can go by way of Mordor maybe or whatever, but this is going to, we'll come back to this, Nancy, because this is obviously going to be a big part of Aragorn's dilemma at Parth Gallen. But um, anyway, my point is, this group is this group is not only not a military unit; it's not a unit. These are traveling companions. Um, this company is still something along the lines of a traveling chance meeting, more than anything else. Uh, Frodo is departing on the quest for Mount Doom. Gandalf has said he would guide him. Sam is sworn to go with him. Merry and Pippin really want to come along too. That's that's all that's all we know, right? So again, that I, I just I think that that context is important to remember when we talk about leadership and leadership approach and everything here. Um, but uh, anyway, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's more like a carpool, April. Yeah, yeah, something like that, something like that. Um. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Um, okay, so back to Frodo's anxiety for a second, and then we'll move on to the next paragraph. So I think, I think it's clear that they intend at least to keep this from, from everyone and from Frodo in particular. And it seems that their primary motivation, I do agree that, like, let's not have this debate in front of everybody and then bring everybody else in because they're all going to think they have as much right to a say as anybody else, right? Um, so let's not go there. Uh, and we'll see that is going to be borne out, I think. Um, but I, I still think that all of that is a secondary concern. And the primary concern is the impact that this is going to have on the morale of the hobbits, specifically, which means Frodo in particular. We care about Merry and Pippin's morale, but not that much, right, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, okay. Um Yeah, that's interesting. Valori says it's less of a let's not fight in front of the kids and more of a let's agree on what we're saying at the press conference. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. As far as their relationship is concerned, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Aragorn's response, which we read last week, I think no good of our course from beginning to end, as you know well, Gandalf. Aragorn begins by saying, Gandalf, don't try to make it out like there's a good option here, right? Um, I, I know trying to cross the path, you know, the Red Horn Gate 
pass in the middle of winter is not a great call, right? Like, I know that that is not a good option. Not trying to pretend it's a good option, right? But when you consider our other options, they're even worse. Perils known and unknown will grow as we go on. But we must go on. And it is no good our delaying the passage of the mountains. So his primary positive argument here is that more delay is worse. Perils known and unknown will grow as we go on, but we must go on. Um, so, okay, so the longer we wait, the worse it's going to be. Not necessarily weather-wise. I mean, it's January now, right? So is it going to get worse if you wait? No, but they can't winter here and wait for the spring. That's perfectly clear. The, uh, the whole, you know, extinction of crows experience clearly has made that explicit. They're being hunted. Whatever that wisp of cloud was, that non-wisp of cloud, or that wisp of non-cloud or whatever, um, whatever that was, they can't, they can't just, uh, wait, right? Um, they must go on. So in that sense as well. And the longer they wait, time-wise, the longer they wait, the more chance they give the hunters to find them. The more they wait distance-wise, that is, the further south they proceed before they attempt to cross, the worse things get. Further south there are no passes. Till one comes to the Gap of Rohan, I do not trust that way since your news of Saruman. Who knows which side now the marshals of the Horse Lords serve? Um, now, I saw someone earlier saying, why does Aragorn express doubt about the Rohirrim when he is later on going to say that he doesn't believe that they serve Mordor, that he, he disbelieves that rumor as strongly as Boromir did? Um, and I don't think that he is doubting that. Remember that the immediate context of this is... Gandalf's news of Saruman. Um, Aragorn, of course, is quite right to think that Saruman is going to be acting on, or perhaps even attempting to conquer, the Horse Lords. Um, and so Rohan might be under the influence, one way or the other, of Saruman. Which, of course, we will discover is quite true. They are under the influence of Saruman. Um, he doesn't know about Wormtongue, though... Maybe he and Gandalf have talked about it enough to speculate about that. Um, you know, Gandalf did interact with Wormtongue, after all, and Theoden, uh, fairly recently. So maybe the two of them have a sort of shrewd idea of what would be awaiting for them, and don't know how much worse things have gotten um, in the meantime. Um, exactly, JJ. What he doubts is the bit about the tribute to Mordor. That's exactly it. And I don't think this has anything to do with that. This has to do with their relationship with Saruman. And they have lots of reason. Again, Gandalf's own testimony, which he may have uh, told Aragorn much more about than he, than he told in his story at the council when he was already fearing that he has drawn out his story over long. Um, so yeah, I think that that's clearly what his concern is there. But anyway, his point is, that's, in his mind, this is, this, these are the two possibilities. If 
we we push forward and try to cross by Karathros now, or we go south and we try to go in the Gap of Rohan. Yes, the snow is threatening. I, I, there's no good option. But Saruman, do we want to take the ring through the Gap of Rohan right next to Orthanc? Is that a good plan? I don't think it's a good plan. Not only through Orthanc, but then lengthwise across Rohan, who might all be under orders from Saruman at this point, for all we know. Clearly, risking the snow is better than risking that. Um, so, anyway, so that's, this is clearly Aragorn's option. Uh, his, er, this, this is how he sees their options. Um, and he doesn't even bring up that other way, though Gandalf will mention that he has spoken of it. As we said last week, Aragorn, to Aragorn, going through Moria is off the table. Unless, you know, something else happens, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, good. Okay. Um, and yet, uh, Mourner and I was just thinking the same thing, too. Um, even in the worst-case scenario, if they die in the snow, the ring doesn't immediately get sent to Saruman or Sauron. It might take some time before anybody finds it again. Um, I mean, you know, if they die in the past, like, best-case scenario, they die in, like, an avalanche or something, and their bodies aren't found for a very long time. Right. Uh, and uh, that gives people just that much more time. Who knows? Maybe the good guys will find their bodies before the hunters of Sauron and Saruman find their bodies. Right. Um, it, it gives them a it gives them a decent shot at success, whereas taking the ring um, right under the shadow of Orthanc. Much more dangerous. Right. Much more dangerous. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Gandalf... Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Wobe and Lincoln want to know what happens if Karathros claims the ring. I don't think that's possible. I don't think the mountain can wear the ring. Um, I don't think we have any... Um... I mean, on the one hand, it seems a little bit silly to say it doesn't have a finger to wear the ring on. Um, and it's not quite that simple, but it's also like a little bit that simple. What we don't have any evidence of is, does the spirit of Karathras have the ability to manifest, would it manifest a physical form, like a, you know, a humanoid form, which could wear and wield the ring? Um... We don't have any evidence of that. Tom Bombadil could. He doesn't... He's not at all interested in it. It doesn't have any impact on him. Its temptation doesn't have any impact on him. Um, but, like, in theory, he can hold it. He can wear it. Um, I don't 
know any reason to think that uh, um, no, but see Feonaro we have no evidence to know that at all um, there are spirits in the landscape every old place um, Karathros is a particular one um, but I have no reason to think that the spirit of Karathras is much different. Um, what about the stone giants? What about the stone giants? The stone giants are a big question. Um, but, uh, yeah. Karathras is more like Goldberry than Bombadil. Also, Silk Westcott, I think the closest parallel is Old Man Willow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that it is like Old Man Willow. I don't think Old Man Willow can wield the ring either. I don't see any reason to believe that it can. Nor, in advance, let me say, the squid. I don't think there's any reason that the squid, uh, or whatever tentacular creature it is, the Watcher in the Water, I don't think there's any evidence that the Watcher in the Water could wield the ring either. Um, they don't seem to have again I, we, we can't prove or disprove it because it's never explicitly addressed but I don't see any positive reason any positive evidence that supports the idea that it could be um, Prey says I'd be interested to see if Smaug could. Yes, I would too, Praise. I would too. Um, remember that... Um, remember that... There's more than one... reaction to powerful artifacts. <clears throat> if you're Morgoth, you want to take the Silmarils and have them for yourself. If you're Ungoliant, you want to eat them. Right? Um, but anyway, we'll come back to this question. This is not yet relevant. Getting there, but not quite yet. Um, okay. Gandalf responds, who knows Who knows which side now the Marshal the Horse Lord serve? Who knows indeed? So Gandalf totally agrees about Rohan. So I think the who knows indeed is Gandalf's way of saying, totally with you on that. Gap of Rohan right out. But shall we come back to the one which you seem to be claiming is right out and which I am not claiming is right out? Right? This third option, which you didn't even mention. There is another way, and not by the path of Karathras, the dark and secret way that we have spoken of. And again, I draw attention to his circumlocution both times. Another way, and not by the path of Karathras. The dark and secret way that we have spoken of, he says. Notice he uses two different circumlocutions, either one of which I would think would probably be enough to signal to Aragorn 
what he was referring to. There is another way, and not by the path of Karathras. We agree, no gap, gap of Rohan. There's another way, and not by the path of Karathras. That's probably enough for Aragorn to pick up on his meaning. Or he could just say, um, but what about the dark and, dark and secret way that we have spoken of? I don't see why he would have to say both things. But I think that the answer to why he is saying both things I think it's, it tells us a little bit of something about Gandalf's I think it tells us a little bit something about Aragorn's resistance to this um It's like he's boxing Aragorn into a corner here. He first uses the, the vaguer of the two circumlocutions. Another way, and not by the path of Karathras. But you see, there, there are ways to wriggle out of that. Oh, you mean uh, turning around and going back north, maybe? And going over the, like, the, you know, the Glanduin Pass? Yeah, sure, maybe we could do that, right? Yeah, no, 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 Aragorn, that's not the way I mean either. Let me be explicit. I'm talking about the dark and secret way that we know of, right? Um, that is, I wonder if Aragorn has been so resistant to speaking about it that he feels the need to kind of come back and emphasize this. Exactly, Bjorning, that's just what I'm hearing. Um, Aragorn seems to be rhetorically parrying Gandalf with his comments on the Gap of Rohan. Aragorn has preemptively attempted to omit that from the list of options. Right? It's no good our delaying the passage of the mountains. If we don't cross here, the only other option is the Gap of Rohan, and that's we both agree that that's out. So therefore, Snowy and Karathras, not, deeply suboptimal, but hey, no other option. And Gandalf is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to force you to address the dark and secret way, which you just preemptively attempted to exclude. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is the Balrog in the room, as it were, bearded elf. I agree with you. Um, I think that this does tell us something about exactly how opposed to going through Moria Aragorn is. He really does not seem to consider it a viable option at all. Um, by implication bringing the ring under the shadow of Orthanc and then dragging it lengthwise across a Rohan which might be hostile, which might be in the hands of Saruman, or at least full of the agents of Saruman, um, is clearly and explicitly, in Aragorn's mind, a more, value, more viable option than Moria. Um... And I think that, again, I think that we can see that reflected in Gandalf's second circumlocution. 
no, I am, in fact, talking about Moria, and you know I'm talking, and I'm not going to let you off without at least acknowledging that it's an option. And what's Aragorn's response to that? But let us not speak of it again. Not yet. Say nothing to the others, I beg. Not until it is plain that there is no other way. Aragorn here says, Okay, it's an option, but let's agree it is the last option. Right? Well, I guess that's not true. They could still go to the Gap of Rohan, theoretically. But no, no, I, what he's saying is it is the last option. Until it is plain, there is no other way. That would seem even to include the Gap of Rohan. He says he doesn't trust the Gap of Rohan since the news of Saruman. But I, my suspicion is that when he says not until it's plain that there is no other way, that that would include the Gap of Rohan. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Jackie says, like, let's go all the way down to the Gap of Rohan and turn around first. Uh, preferably, probably, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, preferably. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk about the Balrog and the Ring yet. We're way far away from that. I want to keep focusing on this passage and not lose our focus here too much. But I would remind everybody, nobody knows there's a Balrog in Moria. Nobody. Um, that is going to be news. Nobody's going to know that until it comes out. Like, when their company is standing on the bridge of Khazad-dûm is going to be the first time anyone in the history of the Third Age of Middle-earth knows that the thing in Moria is a Balrog. Not even Tolkien. Fair enough, Belongsmong. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. Um... I think that's true. But anyway, okay. Um, okay. Here's the last thing. Um, okay, well, it is possible that Sauron knows about the Balrog. Sauron probably does. Because he would have heard about it from orcs and probably figured it out. But I agree, Praise. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Anyway. One last thing I want to um, emphasize about Aragorn's response. His begging. Say nothing to the others, I beg. Not until it is plain that there is no other way. Do you see what he's... Do you see what this suggests? He is afraid... He is afraid that Gandalf is going to bring this to a vote or something. Right? He doesn't want... He is the one who doesn't want Gandalf even to explain the options to the rest of the company. Say nothing to the others, I beg, not until it is plain that there is no other way. I... So, yes, one take-home is definitely... Aragorn doesn't want to go to Moria. He doesn't want his vote canceled by Gimli. Yes. Yes. Um, I do think that that's uh, a part of it. A big deal. Um, I agree, Wobe. I do think that this suggests something about Aragorn's relationship with Gandalf. Um, I... 
Gandalf, the implication, and that implication is going to be, I mean, I can't deny I am primarily reading this implication back into the text because Gandalf is going to say it in the next chapter. Um, that he has a premonition that Moria is, in fact, the road that they're going to need to take. That he's not just, it's not just that he's like all cheerful and rosy about the prospect of going through Moria and Aragorn is not into it. Um, it's not just that their assessments differ, but that he has some sense that that's the right way to go. Um, and uh, Josh the Left, yes, both of these guys have been through Moria. Er, well, been into Moria, anyway. Both Aragorn and Gandalf. Um, yes. Why, not why does Aragorn beg that Gandalf says nothing to the others? Why What in Gandalf's actions has made Aragorn feel like he has to beg, right? Um, what does this tell us, you know? Um, yeah, trifle, we will hear that Aragorn has a premonition of, what's, of what going through Moria will cost. But I am not convinced, Trifle, that he has that premonition yet. Um, I don't think that's the reason that he's so anti-Moria right now. I say that because he is going to have a premonition. He is go a foretelling is going to come upon Aragorn when this issue comes up later on. But foretellings like that in Tolkien seem generally to strike at the moment in which they're uttered. Um, at least that seems to be the normal pattern. And I suspect Aragorn's premonition about Moria to be of that kind. But let's wait until we get there. For now, I don't see that here. I don't see anything to suggest it here. And explicitly what he's saying, what he wants is to not have it said in front of the others. He seems to be concerned, as indeed both of them appear to be on some level, since they're whispering about this and not sharing this with the team. Um, uh, they both seem to be concerned about how the rest of the company is going to respond to things. Um, yeah. Well, okay, I said he seems to not want it to come to a vote. And that's true enough, I think. But I think there's more to it than that. It's not just like Aragorn hates democracy or something like that. Um, I don't believe this is don't put it to a vote because I'm afraid I'll lose if we do put it to a vote. Um, by the way, I think that's true. I think he would lose if they put it to a vote. Couldn't you see Marion Pippin being like, wait, hmm, let me see. Go through a bunch of abandoned tunnels 
probably abandoned tunnels with the risk that there are orcs there or try to cross a high mountain pass in January hmm with snow about to fall yeah let's try the tunnels that seems like the best option right i mean like it's this in one on one level it's the it's the obvious sensible thing to do um so i do think that he would lose vote if it came to a vote um well we're going to get a vote later on but um exactly he doesn't weigh the pros and cons, as Bjorning says. He begs Gandalf not even to name it, um, to say nothing about it at all. Is it because he... Yeah, I see people wanting to think, uh, comparing it to his willingness to go into the paths of the dead. Aragorn is in a totally different place by that point. Um, also, apart from the fact that he has grown and many things have happened to him by the time he gets there, what he is definitely not doing when he chooses to go in the paths of the dead is making a decision on behalf of the group, and in particular, the ring bearer. Right? That responsibility is not on him. The paths of the dead, he's going. He makes that decision for himself. By himself. The Grey Company will come with him. Legos and Gimli decide to come with him, too. Um, uh, so, like, letting them tag along with him is a different decision. But he is not in charge of the Company of the Ring and making a choice on their behalf. The, that's why the parallel situation is Parth Gollum, when he is in charge and is having to make the decision. Um, but, uh, anyway, but I agree in any case, all three of those situations, the choice to go to the paths of the dead, the choice of what to do at Parthgalan and this choice here are very different circumstances and Aragorn himself is in a very different place. Um, so, uh, yeah, exactly. He's not leaving the ring and the hobbits into the paths of the dead. So it's totally different. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I will be interested to see more to look carefully at Aragorn's reactions to the to Moria here. What is it exactly that he dreads so much? Why is it that he Gandalf is willing to consider it an option but he is not willing to consider it an option? We just don't have enough data yet. But let's continue to gather data on that point. Um but coming back again to the point that I've been sort of wandering away from ever since I raised it, the begging. His begging, Gandalf, suggests that he is concerned that Gandalf is going to do exactly that. Right? Don't bring it up. Please don't bring I'm begging you, don't bring it up. You don't, you're not going to say, I beg you, unless he believes that Gandalf might do it and might possibly even do it, even if Aragorn might say something like, I urge you not to say anything to the others. And he clearly thinks that if he were to say something like that, Gandalf might do it anyway. So he strengthens it by saying, I beg, don't say anything to the others. What he has just said there puts a kind of obligation on Gandalf, right? 
should now having now that Aragorn has said that, say nothing to the others I beg. Having begged him, since Aragorn has begged him, should Gandalf choose to say something to the others, it would be a breach with Aragorn, right? Um, that would be a momentous thing for Gandalf to do. There's a kind of obligation laid on him now. It will mean something important. Um, he will be... Spitting in Aragorn's face is perhaps too stark a way to describe it, but it would be a really big deal. Um, yeah. Praise, I do think that there is a an element of just... But it, see, I, I don't think it is courteous phrasing, though. I, I don't mean to go all the way and say that he's literally begging, um, but I don't think that's just a polite turn of phrase. Because it's not a polite turn of phrase. Again... Because of the obligation that it puts on somebody, you're, you're by saying something like that. What you are conveying is, if you do this thing, it's going to be a big deal between us, because I am begging you, not to do it. Um, you might say something like, uh, "Remember when Bilbo begs Gandalf's pardon at the beginning of the Hobbit, right?" That's a polite turn of phrase. So when Gandalf turns and says, I will give you what you have begged for, um, Bilbo doesn't even know what he's talking about. Right. You're my pardon. Um, but this isn't, I, I don't, there's an element, like, I mean, again, it's not like Aragorn is down on his knees, right? Literally begging Gandalf here. But that's, it's a strong turn of phrase. So strong that it seems to me beyond the bounds of polite, at least in this context, right? You might say, I beg. You might use the word beg like, I beg your pardon, in some kind of polite way. Um, like, uh, you know, to say, like, I beg your pardon, or like, um, I beg your attention, or something like that. Um, but, but in this kind of a context, he is making explicit how much it means to him. Like, if you value my opinion, don't do this. If you do do this by implication, you are going to be signaling to me that you don't value my opinion. I mean, I don't think there's any way around that, if you see what I mean. Um, and the repetition, I think, Zeev, I agree, the tone fits the begging. Let us not speak of it again, exclamation point. Not yet. Say nothing to the others, I beg. The repetition. The not yet, like the temporizing. Like, you know, I know you want to, but please, please, please don't, right? Um, I do hear a touch of desperation. Again, not panic. I, 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 we can't push it so far as that. But I do think that there is a note of actual desperation in his words here. And Gandalf's response to that, we must decide before we go further. He doesn't say, okay. Gandalf's response is basically, we'll talk about it. Right? We'll talk about it, or I'll think about it. No, he doesn't say, we'll think about it. He says, we have to decide. 
Yeah, what he's responding to is not until it is plain that there is no other way. In other words, he's saying, let's put off that decision. Let's consider Moria off the table until everything else has been tried. Then at that point, we can consider it. And Gandalf says, no, we have to make a decision now. It's on the table and we have to choose. We can't just wait. We can't just push that back. It's almost an ironic response to Aragorn's own comment. Um, it's no good our delaying the passage in the mountains. Gandalf is almost saying in reply, it's no good our delaying this decision any further. We must decide before we go further. Because if they don't decide before they go, if they continue on, they're going to be moving, you know, they're going to pass, they're going to lengthen their course if they, they don't have time to go to the Gap of Rohan and back. They don't even really have time, I think, as events will prove, for them to go to Karathras and back, right? Then let us weigh the matter in our minds while others rest and sleep, said Aragorn. Okay, we'll decide. But let us pause and reflect on this more, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think they do, but that's me being reckless, fourth dauntless. We'll see. We'll see. Not jumping ahead. We're over time anyway. Um, just a last thing or two on let us weigh the matter in our minds while others rest and sleep. Aragorn calls for, not for further discussion, but for further contemplation. Weighing the matter in their minds. What's that going to do? This is one reason why I don't think that Aragorn This is one of a couple reasons why I don't think that Aragorn yet has the premonition that it's only at peril of Gandalf's life that they're going to go into Moria. Um, it's true that if the weather goes to hell during the rest, it might change things. Yes. But again, that's he's not saying... Gan he, I don't think he's just responding to we must decide before we go further with but that still gives us a few hours. Let's procrastinate it at least that far, right? Um, I, I don't think it's just that. I don't think so. How do they make decisions? How have any of them made decisions? How do they make the decision in the Council of Elrond? How does Gandalf, how do Gandalf and Frodo make their decisions in Bag End, back in chapter two of book one. Um, I think Aragorn suggests, whatever you think of it, Aragorn explicitly suggests that remaining wakeful, maintaining this kind of vigil of thought and contemplation 
is going to clarify matters. That's what he says. He's not just procrastinating. That's not what he says, anyway. Um, to say he just wants to give it more time to see if it's going to start snowing or whatever like that is to disbelieve what he says here. What he says is he suggests that they weigh the matter in our minds as if they haven't thought about it. They've clearly thought about it, right? Why would either of their minds change? They've been thinking about this. He seems to... I, the conclusion that I think is necessary. Aragorn seems to believe that one or both of them might come to a different realization if they spend the rest of the night or the rest of the day weighing the matter in their minds. Um... Yeah. Um, what I would come back to here, and I'll try to do this really briefly. We can talk about this more maybe at the beginning of next time, too. After we've all had time to weigh the matter in our minds for another week. At the Council of Elrond, Elrond was not urging a decision based on running the numbers and seeing what the most probable outcome was. Indeed, he suggested quite the opposite of that. But that doesn't mean he's literally doing the opposite, which is running the numbers and finding out the least advantageous course and doing that. There are times when it almost sounds like that, that like that's the case, right? What they were doing was... Um, when Elrond says things like, if I understand aright all that I have heard, then this task has been appointed for you, Frodo. What Elrond is saying is that is like what Gandalf says to Frodo back in chapter 2 when he says, you were meant to find the ring, right? And we talked about this in the Council of Elrond. Their decision seems to be based on discerning providence. What is the path laid before us? Not what do we think is going to work out best, because at the end of the day, what do we know? We don't know if it's going to snow or not. We don't know. I mean, it looks bad, but maybe it's the best option. It could be the best option. Um, and I think that's what they're going to, what Aragorn believes is going to be the result of them weighing the matter in our minds. Um, not that they're going to have, like, he believes Moria is a really bad idea. He's not going to think that it's less of a bad idea. Like, it's, again, his, uh, the rational arguments are not going to change. But their perception of the path that's laid before them, could that change? Could some kind of insight come to them in contemplation and meditation? over the course of the night, it seems possible. It seems very possible. Um, and I think that that's what Garagorn is suggesting. And in doing so, he's following Elrond's lead. The choice was never... Elrond's choice was not about... Here's what I think the best odds are. 
right? Here's where the smart money lies. It's, 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 it's not that. It was never that. And so why should this decision be made on that basis either, right? Um, of these three bad options, he, Aragorn, sees no, thinks no good of their course from beginning to end. But of these three bad options, Karathras, Moria, Gap of Rohan, it's not which one is likeliest to succeed. Which one, where should they be going? Where is their path going to... Which way is their path laid for them? Um, yeah. And that will be made clear <laughs> as they move forward. Um, okay, we'll pick up there next time. Before we go, let's do another drawing. Another space token giveaway. Here we go. Okay. Oh, that's an improbable number. Okay, let's see. All right. That's a little better. Let's see here. Counting again. Okay. All right, and the winner is the other blue wizard. The other blue wizard is the uh, winner of our next drawing. Congratulations, you win a free space token. Um, so once again, send an email to info at signumu.org, and we can help you walk you through the process. You need just create a BlackBerry account, um, and we will uh, send you a token. If you don't know what those things are, we'll explain it to you. So uh, after you send your email. Congratulations. That concludes our book discussion for tonight. Um, we are going to go to field trip time, and tonight is a really cool field trip. Um, as the uh, there's a whole new area of the game that just opened up today, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Thank you for the discussion today. That's been uh, that was great fun. Um, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna join you in a second, Valoria, if I can, but this is probably not gonna work. Uh, I didn't think so. Hang on a second. Be back in in a moment. And we're gonna do more Lotro giveaways as we've been doing the last couple weeks. Huzzah! Hello, all right. Are you excited, Valori? I am so excited. Yeah. Very, very, very. Which is kind of nice after listening to all of Aragorn's gloom into. <laughs> yes. But I don't know why as a kid, I just thought he was such a, you know, upbeat, positive, great mentor leader because literally he just said, oh no. This this sucks. We're all going to hell in a Honda. <laughs> yeah, I think no good of our uh, of our path from one end to the to the other. From okay, beginning to end, it's like beginning to end. No, this yeah. sucks, Gandalf. <laughs> Everything about this entire quest is horrible. Uh, yep, yes. yep. Yes. So you think better of this? Oh no, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, 
cool. Okay. I'm, uh, there we go. It's lagging a bit, but now here we are. Oh, good. And I'm still in the raid. All right. So tonight we are going to do the thing. We are going to fulfill a decade long dream of mine. And that is we're going to ride south. And we're going to keep riding south from Bree. So let's head out. We'll leave by the west gate and meet you guys at the crossroads. The crossroads of the Greenway and the Dwarf Road. So those of you who are not, you know, those of you who are Lotro players, of course, know exactly what has just happened to explain to folks who are not Lotro players why this is such a cool thing. What has just happened is that um, the there was one... So you can ride along the Greenway all the way from Bree to Minas Tirith mm-hmm. except for one stretch of road. There... There has been one stretch of road that we could not pass through, and that has been opened as of yeah. today. Yeah, and this is this is a this is a road that was here since the beginning of the game. Yeah. So yes. like we all assumed that was the natural progression of oh sure, probably next time. And just nothing. Okay, can I can I look at the map? To Cardolan. Oh, look, it's oh. Tharbad. Unbelievable. <laughs> and then Swanfleet. Look at that. Ooh. And then to Enidwyth, straight through. So, yeah, this is where, like, in Enidwyth, so this is the this was the part that was open before, and you couldn't, there was a barrier, you couldn't go north of this either. Mm-hmm. So this region here, by the crossing of Tharbad, the crossing of the Grey Flood, um, and then the whole region through Old Cardolan. This is all the brand new parts where we are That's headed today. Wine. Yeah. Um. So exciting. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Thanks for the warning, Hologrove. We'll have to be careful trying to cross the Gray Flood. Um, I hear that can be troublesome. But here we are on this dark and stormy afternoon in Lotro. We are very headed south. Like huh? It was very much like the weather today. It was actually yes, really dark, really cold, and really rainy. Yes, I know my son is hoping for his first snow day tomorrow. We'll see. His uh, school now, has his school. Yeah, I would have liked snow. I just got yeah. soaked because yeah, the, I just got the soaked instead. Yeah, locked themselves in again, and I had to let them out. Mrs. Premise and Mrs. Conclusion like to lock all the other docks out so they can have complete access to the food. Right. Right. Yep. Well, we will see. We'll see if my son gets a snow day. I hope he does. Snow days are fun. Snow days are fun. Although I tell you, when you're so soaking wet on a 28 degree day, and like uh, that cup of tea just hits like perfect. Very true. Very true. Or hot chocolate. Or hot chocolate. Yeah, all those uh, all those fancy Land O'Lakes are back in the store now. Like that's. Like mm-hmm. 
that's like peak sophistication for my kids is those land the lakes packets. Okay. Amanmoto, nope, I don't have, I usually don't have the puppy with me on uh, Tuesday nights. And for most of my uh, weekday uh, late night classes, the puppy is uh, uh, working. She's she's on a, she she gets off her shift uh, when I'm done. Mm-hmm. That is to say, she is napping with my wife upstairs. Aww. This is her job. Um, okay. She's a working dog. She she's she's a hard working dog. Her job her dog her job is to uh, her primary job is to snuggle my wife. That is that is what she's hired for. Okay. Sorry, nice I paused here day. outside. Because I want to, we we wanted to look at this uh, ruin. Um, we we want to look at the ruin, and so I'm just pausing to take a surveillance of the ruins here to see if they changed the ruins in any way. I don't think they did. Yep, I think they're all the same, with the exception of that one important point. The gate is open. The gate is open. Hey, before I pass through the gate, I'm going to do my drawing. We're going to give away yeah. another Lotro bundle, uh, the same oh, bundle right. that, we, that, I, that I've been given away, um, which is for people who are new to the game, it will give you all the expansions and everything up through um, uh, and including the Gundabad one, the last one before this. And uh, it also has a whole bunch of uh, awesome things for uh, returning players as well. Um, so let's see. Here we go. Okay. And Zeev, Zeev77, you are the winner. All right. My, my, my dice got all the way down to the Z's this time. Congratulations, Zeev. Um, so, Zeev, again, send an email to info at signumu.org, and we will send you your redemption code, which you redeem in the Lotro store, for your bundle. Congratulations. Excellent. You guys, so much fun. I love this game. All right. And go, here we go. Now entering Southern Andrath. Unbelievable. Okay, so who are these mobs up here? Just the same. Greenway Knave. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, and they're still level 26. Man, it's raining harder. Yeah, yeah. Slightly disappointing that we don't get beautiful sunny weather for our first trip down into Cardolan, but... It feels like November, though. lightning too. Cardolan <laughs> is having no mercy on us. No, not at all. Ooh, love the red. Oh yeah. Oh man, look at those towers over there. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. man, the fields remind me of all these fields of poppies that they had in Poland when I was a kid. Okay. Oh. Right. This looks like from the map Dal Erniel that we're seeing up there. Okay, and straight to our, to the west from here is the southern part of the old forest. 
I don't reckon we can get into it. Mm. Yes, you can. <gasps> we can? Oh. Really? Yes. Does oh, it just yeah, take us... Can... Does it cross us over into the old, old forest? Or is that... Yes. Or is it a new... It's, it's not a new portion of the old forest? Well, basically... Standing Stone made sure that there were land connections to everything except the South Farthing Gate, and that goes up to a portal to Sarnford. Excellent. Okay. Everything else is traversable. Okay. Sweet. Yeah, no, I love the new stitching of the maps. This is so cool. But there's not a... Um, there's not a... Um, a new portion of the old forest. No. Okay. What I wanted to There's check. a stable master here, though. Oh, and a mile yeah. marker. Oh, how about that? Actually, yeah, why don't we... Uh... And there are a lot of players here, because this is where the new delving system starts up. Ah, okay. So, I'm going to avail myself the milestone here. Mm-hmm. Replacing my no-bottle milestone. So that way we can milestone straight here next week. Okay. All right. Shall we um, see if we can make a quick inspection of our first set of uh, new Arnorian ruins? Sure. Let's go see what these Cartilingians were up to. Okay, first clear thing. Oh, there's been no approaches or turnoffs yet, I guess. Tin First clear thing is that, oh, wrong way, is that it is very defensible fortification up on the hill. Yeah. Uh, so that's clear. Sorry, I was riding sideways while looking up at the hill, so that was... Yeah, brand new ruins. I know, Tomas, right? So cool. Can we even get up there? Is I'm waiting for a path. Is there a path? <laughs> Like, surely they must have had an approach to this road. This one right here. Where? Wow. Did I miss it? It's basically up the hill. Oh, I did miss it. Okay. All right, so the turnoff <laughs> road subtle. is is uh, totally lost, but right. Okay, okay, okay. Here's the wall. Okay, so they had a sort of gatehouse down here. Ooh, love the, the turquoise elements. There have not... And, oh, and look, and we're getting the... Um, uh, Oyelaire, the, the the bow of return down along the bottom, so we're seeing many of the similar... Now, we saw those elements in the castle in uh, the certified... The only definitely certified Cardolan ruins we've seen, which is the castle down in the south of the Barrow Downs. Yeah, yeah. The restless we're getting... Bed. Yeah, we're getting the star. Oh. Up pointing stars, notice. Yes. All upward pointing stars. They got these sort of twisted fornost trees again, the sort of uh, lighted trees. Oh, this door is so cool. Oh, yeah. The, oh, the, yeah, the white trees, yeah. No, the okay. one with the tower on it. Sorry, I'm not up to the. I'm. I'm. I was still looking at the uh, ruin. No, this is right at the entrance. Oh, oh, I know. Oh, yeah. I'm not up to the entrance yet. Oh, you're not even up to the entrance yet. Okay. There we go. 
Oh, look yeah. at the tower. I like the tower. That's a nice tower. Okay. Now that is interesting. What? So this is this is really cool because this is the first piece of uniquely Cardolan iconography we've seen on any of their ruins. Yeah, exciting. In Arthodyne, we saw mostly the scepter of Anuminus and the stars. And the vines. Oh, and the vines, yeah. right. The Which is, I think, the Oyelire, the bow of return. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Of course, in Root Hour, we get the crown. Um, why would Cardolan have adapted, adopted a tower? What tower would they be representing as a symbol of Cardolan? As a symbol of their power? Uh. It wouldn't be Amonsul, would it? I mean, we know that there was a three-way fight over who controlled the Tower of Amonsul. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe it's like the Tower on Numenor. It could be. Yeah, we get the four pointy things, which suggests the four pointing things. Four pointy things on top seem to point to the older layer. Uh, like that's a like an Numenus thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be the tower that we're at. That would be a little bit weird to have to have like a castle and over the gate yeah. of the castle is a picture of that castle. Would be like a little it says bit on the tin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Seven stars. Again all upward pointing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to look around some more. I think so, too. Okay. No. Interesting green lichen on the stone. We haven't seen yeah, that Yeah, I'm looking either. at the green lichen. Yeah, that is interesting compared to what we've seen. Um, and also... Can we get up through there? No. The columns look different, too. Yeah, they're not straight. Well, hard to tell. They're embedded in the rock as well. Yeah, but they're not the they're they're a little fancier than the the Doric looking things in the, than we usually see. Though they're not quite as Corinthian as the elves. Yeah. Oh, we can get up this way. Oh, there's skeletons here. Yeah, Restless well, dead, huh? Yeah, man. Who are I mean, you the trees are very much Fornostian. Yeah, the trees are Fornostian. Yep. Which is suggested. Like yep. Yeah, this is what a diseased forest looked like. Is that a, oh, a, a gaunt ghoul? Man. It's a white, yeah. So they're whites yeah. and skeletons. A light collar. Well, it looks like we're all getting dismounted. I just got sick of looking at my horse's butt while I'm trying to look up <laughs> oh there's some sort of freeze that fell down over there yeah looking at that wow look at all the knot work yeah 
really interesting because you don't normally see knot work in Gondorian stuff. You see yeah. knot work in Dwarven stuff and in Rohiric stuff and, and even in some stuff. Elvish stuff. Well, we saw it on like a lot of the Barrow Down stuff too. We saw some knot work there. Yeah, that's true. See, this, this is a present from neighboring nation or something. This kind of plate right here with the sun in the middle of it mm -hmm. looks like it could be from almost any Gondorian ruin. Oh, yeah. That looks very familiar. The sun? I think we've seen some sun imagery in dwarven stuff as well. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh. Well, uh, no. Oh, I found a path up to a Ooh, high stairs. place. Oh man, they like their stairs, don't they? Yeah. Like red lady stairs. Ooh, there's a gazebo up here. Ooh. With red a statue gazebo. on top, but unfortunately headless. Dude with staff. Yeah, Seems yeah. to have been the statue on the gazebo. Mm -hmm. Right, moss-covered gazebo. Yeah, Fermius Bujum, that's what exactly what I was wondering. If the uh, if putting oh. the Tower of Amansul on their iconography mm. is a suggestion of it's uh, is is a suggestion of like claiming ownership of it, right? Huh? Speaking statue of. Woman and her dog? It's a lady and her dog. Lady yeah. And her dog. yeah. She has... Whoop, can't jump up on her. I passed straight through. Um, she has a flower. Yeah. Wait a second. I have a shrewd suspicion. Oh, what? I have a shrewd suspicion. That brooch on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. I bet you that's the brooch that Tom Bombadil finds in the barrow and says, fair was she who once wore this upon her shoulder. Um, you know, she is long gone now, but we will not forget her. Oh. This has to be the woman that Tom Bombadil and Goldberry somehow knew and Tom remembers, but we don't learn anything more about that yeah. sounds like exactly the kind of reference that they would build a whole historical plot line about in their quests in the game. Does this explain where Bargasts come from? Huh? Does this explain where Bargasts come from? I the wonder. With her dogs. dog. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. that does explain the knot work then, because this ties it up with the knot work that we see in the Barrow Down. Yes. It's part of the same culture. Maybe two distinct cultures that assimilated. Sorry, I'm looking at her boots. The toes of her boots on the statue. There's something on the toes of both boots. Is it a leaf? Yeah. Mm. I was trying to think. Maybe it's not work. It's a little yeah, that's, bit faded. but It looks like a, a not work sort of toe cap. 
Yeah, Brunner. I, no, it's not. I don't. I don't believe it's the red made with the brooch. First of all, because again, it's a it's a piece of, piece of treasure that's in a barrow, and so therefore the suggestion there is that it's um, a, a human person mm -hmm. who had yeah. treasure which was left in the barrow, um, yeah. and so human woman from um, you know Arnor, basically, mm -hmm. is so what always. That's oh, right. Yeah. Go no, go ahead. Well, the Red Maiden was a nature spirit more akin to Goldberry. Exactly. Yeah, so she wouldn't have. So I don't think that was um, implied in the Red Maid quest. Ooh, look at the stars and the artichokes. Look at the artichokes ranged behind the stars on the capitals oh, of those pillars. cool. That's really interesting. Capital, capital. It looks less like artichokes there than anything we've seen. What is this dude who's attacking me? Was that a blight collar? That was yeah. a warmonger. Warmonger. But they seem to be the same sort of creature that we were seeing throughout the Red Maid area, right? The... Yeah, yeah, same flavor of the gaunt men. Yeah, the gaunt men, that's what I was thinking Ugh, That's an image I don't want to think of. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I that wonder is who's so on cool. top with no head. Right. Is yeah, this... me too. Yeah. Don't suppose we see the head lying around anywhere, do we? On the one hand, I don't think we've ever seen a complete statue on top of a gazebo before. They're always no. mangled. It's a bad place to put a statue. Okay. Wait, I so feel... what else is up here? Somebody's seeing a throne? Ooh, I want to see a throne. Well, look at all those stars on that they do like this. It looks like there was here, a big arch across. Was this all domed before? Whoa. Oh, JJ put up a thing where he saw the throne. Oh, thank you. And I love those beacons. They're actually pretty useful. Dwarf candles are so helpful. Dwarf candles are good. Oh, I see. But yeah, like the myriad of stars I keep seeing everywhere, including the, the on the shield on the gazebo, makes me think there's a lot of uh, Gil-Galad imagery in here. Hmm. Oh, it looks like a pipe organ! It's a seat. Musical you, seat. You, you can click on it, actually. It starts a quest. Oh. Oh. The stone seat. The ravaging of I'm sorry, it starts a deed. Called the... yeah. Find lost relics, lore of Cardolan. All right. If it's just a deed, I'll click on it. Yeah, definitely worth getting. I'll back up so other people can click on it. The ravaging of Cardolan. The stone walls of this throne room were once decorated with rich tapestries and lush carpets lined the floors. From here ruled the princes and one regent princess of Cardolan. Cool. Okay, so this is... Princess! We, princess. Hey. Presumably had a dog, I'm guessing. Why wouldn't she? And a brooch. Well, we were discussing in Discord the rarity of the use of the word princess at all in any of the books yeah yeah like when faramir yeah. became prince of athelion 
Eowyn did not become princess of the Villian. No, she wouldn't. Yeah, no, no, because that's a totally different thing. Prince and princess are quite different words in the in that Lady, way. maiden, mistress, shield maiden. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the word princess is... Too French. It's pretty French, yeah. Um, princess. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's not, um, it wouldn't have been a thing. Like, Faramir's not that kind of prince, nor is Imrahil, for that matter. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, there seems to be a whole bunch of blight collars and warmongers over there. That's okay. Carcel, we know of the quick post, seems to be doing a fine job. Um, yeah, so there's the tower again. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we're going to see anything around here that'll give us some insight into that tower. Yeah. In, in this area, I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We should stop because we can't keep this up all night and I could keep exploring this area for a long time. I know. I really want to. Yeah. There's more to be seen here. But we'll come back. Let's begin our. Um, we'll we'll return to the milestone and then come back mm -hmm. to the ruins up here, next time, and see what other conclusions we like. We haven't really done much looking at like the overall flow of um, the place and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll see. We'll see what else we can learn about this. If this was the capital city of Cardolan. Yeah. Uh, the mile maker was called uh, Gerwin's Convoy, by the way. Gerwin's Convoy, that's it. Mm -hmm. Gerwin's Convoy. Yeah, so we'll so we'll start at the Warhol milestone to the to Gerwin's con convoy. Convoy? Convoy, yes. And then um, we will head back and continue our explorations here next time. Well, that is a pretty cool thing. If that is, in fact, the wielder of the brooch, that is quite awesome. That's just so exciting. Very cool. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me in this historic day when we got to ride straight south from Bree and into Cardolan. So excited to see the rest of this expansion. And my goodness, do we have a lot of area to cover. This will oh, keep yeah. us for a while. We're going to have to tear ourselves away from exploring Cardolan in order to go back to Carothros for a few weeks uh, fairly soon. <laughs> but then we'll come back. And, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, actually, we're probably not going to be finished with this before we get to... Uh, um, before even we get to Moria, I think. Yeah. But, Anyway, but you know, we got one plenty step of at a time. though. Yeah, one step at a time. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. All and right, have uh, a good one. we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye now.